How many of you excited about Thanksgiving? Amen. I love Thanksgiving. You get to have you get to have all the stuff of Christmas without going in debt. You know, I love Thanksgiving. I really do. And so to, today, uh, in keeping with Thanksgiving, uh, I want to preach a message about Thanksgiving. But we're going to kind of go from the negative side. We're going to talk about complaining, and we're going to call it complain less. Complain less. The key to a less burdensome life, it just makes common sense, weights on, your, on your, your, your body or your life create burdens. Burdens create stress. So the less weight you have, the less things you have to worry about and care about, uh, the less burden you will feel. So the only way to have a, less, a more burdensome life is to have less of something. First week, we talked about having less stuff to care for, pay for. And last week, we talked about having less unnecessary and unrewarding commitments. And today, we want to talk about less focusing on the negative, less complaining. This one, you don't have to rent a 30-yard dumpster for, and you don't have to quit anything, except you just have to resign from being the full-time chief a quality control inspector of life 24-7. You just have to make that a part-time position instead of a full-time position. We have to complain less. Now, where does complaining come from? Uh, I mean, when I say complaining, I mean toxic complaining, chronic complaining. Where does chronic complaining and toxic complaining come from? Philippians 2.14 gives us a clue where toxic and chronic complaining come from. And uh, they come from us, we're going to read it in a second, but let me just go ahead and say it. They come from us not believing that God himself will show up to give us justice. They come from doubting that Jesus Christ will come up, show up to give us justice. Now let's read it together, Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining and arguing or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Now, circle uh, the word without because we're going to come back to that word in a few minutes. And I believe God has a, a nugget for us in that word without. Let everything be done without complaining because I know somebody's saying that's not possible. You cannot live a life with no complaining. And you would be right, nor is it a good idea to live a life with no complaining. So that word is the key to understanding what the great apostle is talking about. So do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. In which you, so this is serious stuff. This is not just a little uh, attitude talk he's giving. This is serious stuff. It's about serving God. It's about serving God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast in the day of Christ. Notice he connects it with the day of Christ. What's what's Christ going to come and do? He's going to come and bring justice to the earth. That I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Now, um, 
I uh, am a recovering gripeaholic. I just want you to know that. And uh, uh, first of all, I was born with a melancholy, phlegmatic personality. I've done those personality tests for years, and I'm a melancholy phlegmatic, which means that uh, we, we, we see the world, as Paul said, through a glass darkly, and we're very sarcastic. So uh, I, I find sarcasm very natural and very easy to do. And so uh, at age 25, uh, Sherry and I got married, and we decided that we would come to New England to pastor. Now, I had lived my whole life in Texas. Texas has a lot of sunshine, right? Texas had a lot of sunshine, um, a, a political, religious climate that I was used to. Uh, then, we, then I spent several years in Florida ministry. And Florida has a lot of sunshine and kind of a mixed bag of politics. Uh, mixed bag because so many northerners have moved there. <laughs> so I was really excited and missional about going to a place where there weren't, wasn't a church on every corner. There wasn't a Baptist or an Assemblies of God church on every corner. There, there wasn't, there, there wasn't uh, uh, you know, I, I, I remember being in Jacksonville, Florida one day when I pastored a little church there for a short, very short time. And I remember going through the radio dial and counted, I counted nine gospel radio stations. Nine gospel radio stations. And, and I went to the yellow pages and I counted 32 Assemblies of God churches in one town. And, I, and I, I couldn't count all the Baptists and the Charismatics. There were pages and pages of yellow pages. I said, God, why am I preaching here? This is like taking water to the sea. This is crazy. I want to go where I'm needed. I want to go where we're needed. I want to go where there is not a church like this on every corner. And so I can't, we came to New England. We took a church in Westfield, Massachusetts, a little church that... Um, had really been through the, the war. I mean, there were about 50 people left. The pastor, the, the previous pastor, had had a long-standing affair with his secretary. And in uh, fact, they um, engaged uh, a few feet from where he would preach every Sunday since his office was right off the platform. <laughs> so the church, I mean, sexual predator stuff is nothing new, but folks. And it's, uh, it's everywhere. And... Uh, uh, it, not only that, he, he had set up the finances so that not only the church paid him a salary, the, the church, he had set this up so he didn't pay for anything. The church bought his groceries. They paid for his groceries, his, his fuel bills, everything. He was taking all the money that church had. He had just run that church into the ground, which is the only kind of church I could ever get. was one that <laughs> I never got to. I never got a call to the ones that had uh, half a million in the bank and a staff and all that. And uh, so Sherry and I got there with full of optimism, you know. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't realize the emotional weight I was going to be carrying. Because partly a, a, a process, I'm a person, I process everything through my feelings, not through my not through the, the uh, factual 
pragmatic part of my brain, but through the emotional part of my brain. That's how God has wired me. I don't have a problem with that. If you have a problem with that, that's your problem. So, but you know, the, you know the difference. There are feelers and thinkers. Some of you are thinkers. I'm a feeler. I process things through my feelings. And so here I was in Massachusetts with this little church, and I wasn't prepared for it to get dark every day at 4 o'clock. I wasn't prepared for it to get dark. I wasn't prepared for people to be critical. I wasn't prepared for so many things. I wasn't prepared for Henry. <laughs> I've talked about Henry before. I wasn't prepared for Henry, a guy who was always pointing out faults and stuff. He would walk in, and I remember when we finally built a new building, uh, uh, he would walk in and he would look up at the, we didn't have a chandelier, but we bought a chandelier. He would say, there's dust on the chandelier. Somebody needs to get that off. That was Henry. Um, and I got so down and depressed and all my spirit did was complain. You know, I look back though on that. You know what? God really blessed us. We we sold that little building downtown. This is in a three or four year period. We bought 22 acres of land. Imagine that. We bought 22 acres of land on the outskirts of town. Beautiful property. God blessed us. We, we, we saw the finances come together. We saw the congregation. It grew uh, nothing like I thought it was going to grow. I, mean, I thought I was going to have a church of 1,000. And we were in church of a little less than 200 in this period of time. And, and I had no clue that that was great. Why? Because I, I was an Eeyore. I was negative. I, I, all I could think about was we were 11 miles from a church, and some of you know this church, called Bethany Assembly of God. It's interesting I'm at Bethany Assembly of God now, Bethany Community Church, but we were 11 miles from Bethany Assembly of God, and this was a, what seemed like a mega church. I think they ran 1,000 or 1,100 and they had every program, and they had the robe choir, and they had all this stuff. And everybody who got unhappy with me went to Bethany. And I got so sick of Bethany. I hate Bethany. And I, 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 I got into so much trouble emotionally. I got into so much trouble emotionally. And, and, and you know, those of you who know Sherry, Sherry's just really tough-minded. And she just doesn't get down. I mean, nothing just... She just doesn't get down, and she didn't. She didn't get down in those days either. But I, I was a mess. I remember calling a counselor one day, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't even, I was so stressed out, I couldn't remember uh, my age or any of the stuff they started asking. I couldn't remember any of it. And, and end up, uh, long story short, end up, I did end up in a couple of different counseling relationships. that really helped me, um, but it was kind of too late. I, 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 had, I had gotten so burned out and let myself focus on the negative. I, you know, I remember driving all the way to Pittsville one time to, deal with, to talk to a dear Australian brother who was pastoring there and just go to, to talk things out. And I remember him talking to me, and he listed all the things that God was doing in my ministry and in our lives that I couldn't focus on. And, but like I said, it was kind of too late, and I resigned and, and we left there, and that leads us to today. Because when I decided, Sherry and I, through a long, that's a long story, we decided to come to back to, we moved back to Florida. We decided to come back, back to Massachusetts, and, 
And again, the only church that was available was one that was pretty beat up. And, uh, and this time we only had seven people. I think I had 40 or 50 the first time. Uh, I think God said to me, if you don't get this right, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> but I remember this prayer. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, you, th- you, you think you, you don't want something until you don't have it. And I can't take this. I had all those conversations with, so I can take this and these people. And I, you know, I just, I complained of everything from the politics of Massachusetts to the weather to the Christians that were here. And I felt like the Lord gave me this challenge. Phil, I want you to be happy as a choice. And I said, God, okay, I'll do that. I will go back to Massachusetts. And I can't promise you that I will be a great pastor or I'll be famous or I'll be anything, but I will be happy. And I've pretty much kept that promise. I mean, not perfectly, but I've pretty much got, kept that promise. I got sick and tired of the pain of being unhappy. I got sick and tired of the pain that I couldn't control weather, politicians, and Christians. Well, I'm not the only one. It's a human problem, you know. In fact, way back in the day, way back in the day when Daniel Webster wanted to give a person the impression that he remembered them, uh, but he couldn't recall their name or where he met them, he would say, he would ask them this. He would say, well, how is that old complaint? <laughs> and they would start to, to share, and eventually there would be a connection. I remember Ken Chapin, who worked for Billy Graham Association, or worked closely with him. I remember him telling us one time, if you go to a pastor's convention and you want to get to know other pastors, well, just spot their name tag far enough from them and get their name and call it their name and say, hey, Brother Smith, how's that situation? Because he said, everybody has a situation. (laughs) Now, is it automatically sinful to complain? This series is about those things that are necessary, but will overburden our emotional and social systems if we don't lessen them in our lives. It's not about... It's not about not eating food or not having a house or not having a car. It's not about calling everything evil. It's about less. So strategic complaining is necessary for advancement in life. The same Bible that calls us to proclaim that we are blessed, even when it's hard, also affirms us when we complain that we're overwhelmed. You know that? The Bible affirms that. And that's... And, 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 and you can get lost in those passages that you don't know you're supposed to give thanks because there's so many passages where people of God, heroes of the faith, complain. Psalms, of course, is famous for it. Psalms 142, he said, I cry out to the Lord. I plead to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaints before him. And I tell him all my troubles when I'm overwhelmed. You alone know the way I should turn. Whenever I go, wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. Now that's, and we could go on and on and on, just many, many verses and passages where David talked like this. Even the great apostle Paul revealed that there was a point in his life where he complained and he was down. 2 Corinthians 1.8, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. 
you know, one of the things that manipulators do, people who want to manipulate us, or they don't know they want to, but they do, and, and dictators do, is they shut down complaints. I remember uh, Jimmy Evans talked about, in, in his, he, and, he and Karen Evans do a series called Destructive Dominance, and they talked about how in a relationship you must have a complaint department in, in, in your life. You must be able to hear complaints about you. And he, he told the story about taking a shirt back to a department store. And uh, this shirt didn't fit or something. And he went home, tried it on, wasn't right, took it back. And he gets to the counter and the person across the counter, you know, normally what they do is they smile, say, thank you, we'll take care of that for you, sir. Do you want to store credit or do you want to go get another one? Whatever you... But this particular clerk was going to be the guardian of complaints. And this particular store clerk said, I believe you wore this. And it, Jamie said, no, I, I just tried it on. It's, I think you wore it. And he, and he picks up the shirt and presses his nose to the armpit of the shirt and, and took a big swift. <laughs> I love that story. That's just an amazing story, huh? We don't serve a God who can, we can only give thanks to. But, but complaining too frequently, too habitually, and too grudgingly, and those are three important categories, too habitually, too frequently, too habitually, too grudgingly, leads to emotional overload. Not only does it overload us with too much adrenaline and too much cortisol, do you realize that everything matters in your life? And when you complain and when you get angry and you get frustrated, you are releasing, you're releasing chemicals into your brain that are designed to help you to take action when you need to take action. You're releasing adrenaline into your brain when you get frustrated. You're releasing cortisol into your system when you get frustrated. And those things, when you need them, are good. They're good when, when your child is running out in front of a car and you, you, you say, what are you doing? That is good. And you run and you stop the child from getting killed. That's good. But when you're just all day long producing adrenaline and cortisol in your system because of your bad moods, you are harming your body. And what about our relational systems? Our relational systems... Most of us don't realize, but our families, our church, our friend circles, our work situation, those are emotional systems. And when you inject something into your emotional system, everybody feels it. And when you're injecting too much blame, too much shame, and too much hopelessness, because those are the three things that excessive and chronic complaining release into your, into your relational systems. Blame, shame, and hopelessness. Blame because it's someone else's fault. It's someone else's fault. There's failure or you're not happy. Shame because it's someone else's guilt that there is failure or you're not happy. Hopelessness because it's someone else's fate to fail you and leave you unhappy. In fact, the word, uh, for, um, the, the word for fault finder 
The word for fault finder actually means fear of fate. Fear of fate. That the word fault finder, in, in Jude chapter 1, verse 16, he talks about men, evil men who are grumblers and fault finders. When you are a chronic complainer, you're always thinking, here we go again. Just my luck. Not going to work out again. Every, the planets are aligned against me. This is how it always goes for me. What you don't realize is that everybody in this room faces adversity every day. Everybody in this room has a world that's against them. But some people choose to focus on the justice of God and the power of God. And some people choose to focus on the problems of, that are around us. And some people choose to focus on everything that's against them. See, that's what happened to me in my first pastorate. I could only focus on Henry and the people that were leaving my church. I could not focus on the 22 amazing acres that God gave us. I couldn't focus on the beautiful building that we created. We rehabilitated an old building that was on this property. I couldn't focus on the house we had purchased that was on the property. I couldn't focus on the nearly 200 people that were coming to hear me preach every week. I couldn't focus on the, the, the things of God because, because my emphasis was on the wrong syllable. My vision was in the wrong place on blame, shame, and hopelessness. Not wrong to complain. Complaining is very important. They're very important. But when we complain too frequently, too habitually, too grudgingly, we burden our emotional relational system with despair. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7 is the formula for having God break the bondage of a complaining spirit. It says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know, the word care means distraction. The word care means distraction. What happened to me is I was distracted from the beauty of God. I was distracted. I had a beautiful wife. I had two beautiful kids. And I was distracted from the beauty of God. I, was just, I had a beautiful church. I had, I had a group of people that loved me. When, when we left that church, the attendance went down to 13. And I'm not bragging because I thought I should be running a 1,000. So I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that God was blessing me, but I was distracted. I was distracted from the blessing. Some of you here today are distracted from the blessing of God. You can't see what God is doing in your life. But I, I want to tell you the fact that you're even sitting here today in this place, and you're sitting in this, with all the problems of America, you're sitting in America today. You're still sitting in, in, in a great country, in a great place, with great freedoms and great opportunity. You are blessed. You are blessed. We've all heard it by now that most of the world lives on $2 a day. We've all heard it now. We know that we are in a great situation. Mystics for years, see, have taught that the principle of balance is the primary tool for self-mastery. So that's why we say it's okay to complain, but you've got to have balance. Now, balance does not mean having equal amount of things. 
<laughs> so he said, I'm really balanced. I, I only complain half the time. <laughs> Just 12 hours a day, that's all. <laughs> no, uh, balance doesn't mean having equal amounts because uh, the components of life don't weigh the same. Some weigh more than others. Some are heavier than others. That's what Jesus says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, because he was saying, sin is very heavy. So a little bit of sin in your life will overwhelm your life, because it's heavier than righteousness. It's heavier than right. And, and, and complaining is heavier than praise. It, you, you know, I could come up to you and say, four or five really glowing things about you after church and during the greeting time, during the connection time. And then I could say, but you're ugly. <laughs> what would you remember? <laughs> what would you leave talking about? Because your ugly is heavier than you're beautiful. It really is. It weighs more. It, it has more gravity to it. <laughs> You know, and, and we could go on with that idea, I'm sure. Balance means you give a lot more praise, a lot more thanksgiving than complaining. Balance means you say a lot more positive things to the people around you. Believe me, everybody's in a battle. Everybody needs to be built up. Me, you, every one of us, we're in a battle. We need to be built up. Everybody, nobody in this room. Some of some are better than some of us are better. We've gotten better, kind of concealing or not talking about our problems. But everybody has problems in this room. Everybody, everybody's stressed about something. Everybody's worried about something potentially. Everybody in this room, we're all in this together. You cannot build people up enough. But you know. You know, when we complain righteously, now let's get back to complaining a second here. When we complain righteously, it's because we have a holy desire. I want you to know that the desire to complain also comes from a holy place. When we complain righteously in, 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 in a balanced way, it is because we have a holy desire for justice and equity. So it's okay to complain. I mean, some people get take this too far, and uh, they're like... Uh, Stan Leland over there who, who, who takes things too far. <laughs> and, and they get so humble you can spit on them and they say, thank you. You know, that, that is not what God wants us to do. In, in fact, uh, uh, Sherry and I and Elise were at a restaurant Saturday night before last you know, down, uh, in, the, in the neighborhood. And we, we go in and we sit down in the waiting area. It's a Saturday night. And... We're, we're noticing they seat like three people ahead of us who came in after us. And we didn't, we didn't say much. We just said, I think you're forgetting us. And the, they got us to a seat. And we sat there for an hour and a half after we ordered our food. Not an hour and a half. Sorry, an hour and five minutes. I was counting. Hour and five minutes after we ordered our food. Now, I could not say anything. But that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be healthy for me not to say anything. So I called the waiter over, and I, in a nice way, I just said, you know, sir, we, we've been, it's been an hour since we ordered our food, and just want to see what's kind of going on here. And uh, they, they did finally give it about 10 minutes, brought it 10 minutes later, and they comped our meals, which they should have. Uh, 
There's nothing wrong with, see, God has put, you are, we're put in the earth to create justice. I, I, did, I do that restaurant a favor when I complain like that. I do them a favor because they're going to lose business if that's the way they serve people. They're going to lose my business, and I don't want them to lose my I like their food. I want to go back there. So complaining is a means of bringing about justice. There's nothing wrong with it. But when we complain too frequently, too habitually, too grudgingly, it's because we have an unholy desire to be God. James 5, 9, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. When I complain too frequently, too habitually, too angrily, too grudgingly, I am trying to control the world and I'm trying to be God and the only way you're going to be happy and the only way your emotional systems are going to be healthy is if you're able to let things go. Philippians 2.14 gives us some clues. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Okay, what does it mean? I keep saying habitually, grudgingly, frequently, don't I? Because that's the three things I want you to remember today. There's the three things I want you to remember. I want you to ask yourself, am I complaining frequently, habitually, and grudgingly? I don't care what order you get that in, but I want you to remember that. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. It means we don't complain habitually. We're able to do things without complaining I, I already talked to you about Jude 16, says they are grumblers and fault finders. And I told you the word comes from a Greek word, literally meaning blaming fate. A fault finder is a person who does not believe that things will work out in the end. They do not believe that a holy God. So complaining becomes habitual. It becomes your identity. Notice what it calls them in Jude 1.16. It calls them grumblers and fault finders because that had become their identity. It had become their identity because it was habitual. It was, they were addicted to complaining. They were addicted to grumbling. When, when someone takes drugs every day, we call them a drug addict. They, they take on the identity when, when someone in, engages consistently in, in sexual misconduct, we, we call them sex addicts. Why? Because it's chronic. It's habitual. It becomes their identity. The people of God, the Bible says that we're to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Identi our identity can never be as Christ followers, as fault finders and grumblers and complainers. That cannot be the identity of the people of God. That cannot be the identity of people who are, who are, who are learning the, the lightness of being, as one writer put it, who are learning to be lighthearted, to be lighthearted and to be playful is a spiritual gift and a spiritual fruit. Amen? Now, the word without is a very important word. I told you we we're going to talk about that. The word without, the Greek word is translated from chorus and means what it says. It, it means what it says, without. But because it's an adverb, it's a modifier of a verb. 
Now, I don't know much about English and verbs and adverbs, but I, I know this. I know that when I looked it up in the Greek dictionary and it said it was an adverb and a modifier, I know what, it, I know what an adverb is. It, it modifies an action. Uh, so, so he is not saying one must live their life without complaining since a verb is an action like serving, cooking, eating, cleaning, preaching, studying, repairing, building, moving, whatever, or giving, that's the everything of verse 14. The everything of verse 14 is, or is those verbs in our life that we're, we're giving. Even now, you, you are performing an action. You're listening, in some of you, and you, you, are, you are laughing. You are, you are, you are uh, c- committing actions. These are the verbs of life. And he's, Paul is saying, Paul is saying, without is an adverb. So Paul is saying, never, never complain while you're doing. Never complain. Never add complaining to the verbs in your life. He's saying compartmentalize your complaints and make them strategic conversations. But when you're acting and when you're doing, do without complaining. When you worship in the service, don't sit here and complain that the music's too loud. Worship God. You only have time and emotional, the ability to emotionally focus on one thing. So you can't worship God and be complaining that the music's too loud. And I'm not saying I think the music should be too loud. I'm not saying that that's not a legitimate complaint. It might be a legitimate complaint at times. But that's not the point. The point is, Paul said, don't do everything. When you do things, do them without complaining. When you're spending time, quality time with your spouse, do it without complaining. When you're eating lunch today, do it without complaining. We, we all know that we all know how this works. Every cook knows it's different to have someone at the dinner table go, ooh, I hate broccoli. We know that's totally different than days later to say, you know what? I don't like broccoli, but I love green beans. That doesn't have the same emotional impact as to be eating dinner and going, ooh, I hate Brussels sprouts. In the middle of an activity, it's an ambush. It's a grenade launch, and it's discouragement. The only thing that you're going to see today, the, the only thing you're going to see is you, some of you are going to watch NFL today. You're not going to see them have a team meeting and analyze and critique what they're doing in the middle of the game. You're going to hear, you're going to hear them say, let's go, or something like that. Because all you do when you're in the battle, all you do when you're in the activity is you give encouragement and you give praise and you save the complaint for the staff meeting. You save it for the family meeting. You save it for that strategic conversation. When you pull a person aside and you say, this is what we need to talk about. I need you to know that something's going on that's hurting our relationship, that's hurting our church, that's hurting this, it's hurting that. It's okay, you can talk about anything. You can be as candid as you want to be, but don't do it while you're in the middle of the game. When in motion, avoid negative emotion. When in motion, avoid negative emotion. I made that up. It's pretty good. 
I got to wrap this up. Do everything without complaining or arguing means, and I'm just going to give you the bullets here because we want to get into connection time. Philippians 2, 14, 16, do everything without complaining or arguing means don't complain grudgingly. When we complain grudgingly, we are, we're more angry than sad and our anger is against someone. The Israelites were blamed grudgingly. They, they complained grudgingly because they blamed Moses. You brought us out into this desert. We ran out of water because of you. We are eating manna every day because of you. And we know you're a bad person because you married this Ethiopian. You, 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 you. Although God held Moses responsible for his actions, we can't read the accounts of the Israelites' constant complaint against this humble man and not know that they had some responsibility for him losing his temper in the end. People should want to please you because they look forward to your joy not because they want to avoid your wrath and your complaints. Finally, do everything without complaining or arguing means we don't complain frequently. If people can anticipate my unhappiness, then my unhappiness is ineffective. Strategic complaints can be very effective and bring positive change, but constant griping and constant fault-finding destroys the prominence that God wants to give us. I said it destroys the prominence that God wants to give us. Chris Brady said, any fool can find fault. It takes a winner to find solutions. Look at the rest of that verse. So that you, now, what I just said was that God wants to give you prominence. He wants to lift you up. Look at the rest of that verse. Why does he say, stop complaining so much? Stop grumbling so much? Stop finding fault so much? Stop arguing so much? so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without faults in a crooked and perverse generation. Why? Because you're going to work on your own faults more than other people's. So you get to you start becoming a better person. People who always focus on others never work on themselves. And then he says, and you will shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. That gives us some pretty serious reasons to become a fault minder instead of a fault finder. It promises that we will shine like stars in the universe. Think about that. Paul is saying that people who worry about, more about their own condition and aren't constantly finding fault with everybody will be rock stars. You will shine like stars in the universe. Think of it. Think of it. Can you think of anybody that really you see as a great leader who's always complaining? It's, can you think of anybody? Do you think that's a great man? That's a great woman. They just whine all the time. They're amazing. <laughs> no. Everybody you know motivates you. Everybody, I mean, everybody you think is great are people that motivate you. Bill Hybel said it, and I know my staff's going to look at me because I don't do it so well. I'm working it. He said, your staff should leave your office levitating because you're such a great source of encouragement. Some of us in the room are one personality trait away from being one of God's rock stars. That one personality trait is thankfulness. Don't stop complaining, but look at your volume and look at your timing. Complaining is a tool for correcting injustice, but it's not the whole toolbox. You need to get out the hammer of thanksgiving and praise. Psalmist David said, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will, I will complain sometimes, but I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. We can do that this week, can't we? We can do that. 
I love, you know, Jonathan Edwards is known for sinners in the hands of an angry God, a really heavy sermon that he preached in Windsor Locks, Connecticut so many years ago. But I love this. Jonathan Edwards said, our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be lost. And the best things are yet to come. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, we're going to take an action of Thanksgiving right now. And uh, uh, Compassion New England does a great job of really touching our community. And they're our ministry. Compassion New England is ours. And uh, they're uh, giving out, uh, I don't know how many Thanksgiving baskets, but uh, many, a lot. And uh, they, we, they, need to, they need to raise about another $800, which I'm sure we can knock that out in a couple of minutes. So we're going to close this service. We're not going to have our normal come forward and response time because we're going to go into connection time and fellowshipping with one another. But I want you to uh, prayerfully consider right now giving a gift to the Thanksgiving baskets as an act of praise. And for some of you, I want this gift to be a spiritual commitment. I want you to give that money and I want you to see it as a seed into a more exciting, dynamic, and positive future. And uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to have a Brandy Gaudet come back and she is going to ex- explain to you how to, uh, we're going to, uh, she's going to give you some connection direction right now. And uh, I know we're going to really enjoy our time together. And if you're a visitor, I hope you'll stick around and let's get to know you. God bless.